This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Uh, we've got Dan Zampano coming up to talk about last week's uh, NFL games, uh, the uh, coaching moves that have happened around the league, and uh, the fact that it looks like Bill Belichick is going to be unemployed uh, this coming year, a, a surprise to a lot of people, but uh, we'll have him coming up. I had to tape the interview yesterday. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing we did. Um, he he sent me a voicemail this morning, uh, and he can barely talk. Uh, he was uh, not, he was under the weather when we did it yesterday, and he can barely talk this morning. So I'm glad we, we taped it yesterday. Before we get to some sports stuff, uh, news came down overnight. Darius Rucker, uh, country music star, of course, the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish as well, uh, was arrested in Tennessee last night for uh, possession of marijuana. Uh, and it's, you know, it's uh, mind-boggling, right, in this day and age that uh, we still have people getting busted for having a joint because that's what he had. You know, it's just absolutely silly. Um, and uh, had to post a uh, $10,000 bail uh, so that he did not have to spend the night in jail. And by the way, this is re- the day after a couple of police officers had the crap beat out of them by some uh, immigrants in New York City, and they didn't have to post uh, bail. You know, they got out without bail. But Darius Rucker, for having a joint, <laughs> had, had to post uh, a $10,000 bill. Absolutely ridiculous. Welcome to Tennessee. And by the way, Tennessee is a state where 80% of the population believes that marijuana should be legal. But the Republican uh, supermajority that they have in their uh, state legislature refuses to allow that to happen. So that tells you where the state of Tennessee is at, right? I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, Darius is going to be fine, but it's just ridiculous that somebody's getting busted for having a joint. Um, I, I, in 2024, after after by the way, after our president just uh, pardoned a whole bunch of people uh, that were in federal prison uh, for marijuana, I mean, it's just nuts, nuts. All right, uh, baseball news: big trade in Major League Baseball yesterday. The Baltimore Orioles um, had had a pretty quiet off season. Well, they made a big splash yesterday. They made a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers, and they had now have a new ace on that staff, Corbin Burns comes over from the Brewers uh, to join the AL defending AL East defending champion Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the Orioles in return send two uh, prospects to the Brewers, two guys that um, uh, had uh, a pretty good upside. Matter of fact, I think they were uh, both ranked in the uh, top 100 in Major League Baseball, and they're also going to be sending a, a, a competitive draft pick over. I think it's currently number 34 uh, overall in next year's draft. So, uh, But a great move by the Baltimore Orioles. And Burns um, last year, 3.39 ERA, but the previous three seasons he had an ERA under 10. I mean, so this is a guy that is going to go right to the top of the class of the uh, Baltimore Orioles uh, pitching staff. And as far as the Milwaukee Brewers go, uh, look, they've already got – they decided not to non-tender Brandon Woodruff, who's probably going to miss all of 2024 uh, when he had a uh, shoulder injury uh, just before the playoffs in uh, last season. So he's probably going to be out. And uh, he's a matter of fact, he's still a free agent. Now they trade away Burns, so their top pitcher now – uh, is Freddie Peralta. 
And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Brewers are able to be competitive in that division without uh, their ace, Corbin Burns. Very surprising trade. You know, and Red Sox fans, of course, uh, you know, like, oh, why couldn't we do that? And then, that's, hey, look, that's a fair question. And Red Sox fans are even more incensed now when news came down uh, that uh, Fenway Sports Group uh, is infusing like $1.5 billion into the PGA Tour and yet the Red Sox are going to probably be, uh, be under the luxury tax threshold this year and have been very, very quiet and hesitant to spend big money uh, in the offseason. And uh, <laughs> the amount of vitriol by Red Sox fans just continues to grow. And I'll tell you what, if it continues, you know, there's a lot of people saying, I'm not going to attend a game at Fenway this year. Screw them. They're not going to get a dime of my money. You know, there's people saying they're not going to watch a game. I, I, I say baloney. Now, not going to a game, you know, it will be interesting. Look, the only way ownership is going to get the message is if people really do uh, work with uh, or, or, or speak with their wallets, you know, and just not show up to games and have a bunch of empty seats in the ballpark. Maybe that will get the message across. Don't know. Don't know. But, you know, uh, it's very frustrating for Red Sox fans to watch the Orioles do what they just did. And now, you know, the Red Sox just continue to stand pat. And the Orioles are doing this just a couple of days after it was announced that they are going to have a new owner. Um, The uh, Angelos family is selling the controlling stake in the uh, Orioles for $1.7 billion. And... Cal Ripken Jr., Grant Hill, part of that ownership group. Um, it is going to be um, a new day in Baltimore. You know, and there's a lot of Orioles fans that are absolutely thrilled, thrilled that the Angelos family is no longer going to be in control of the Orioles. They're still going to have a significant stake in the team, but they won't be running it. You know, and, you know, what kind of role Cal Ripken will play, you know, who knows. But, look, this is a guy that grew up in that area and, you know, and Hall of Famer and, of course, uh, uh, legend in the the Maryland area. And Grant Hill, who is from Virginia, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., another uh, huge sports figure in that area. So uh, uh, Orioles fans celebrating today. Tell you who's not celebrating. Celtics fans. It's so there was a you know big nationally televised game last night right on TNT and oh my goodness it's uh, it's LeBron James and uh, uh, Anthony Davis and the Los Angeles Lakers who and then of course you find out just before the game that LeBron is not playing nor the Anthony Davis so then the headline in the Globe yesterday is well the game lost all its luster and you know it's going to be kind of a joke well what happened. The uh, Lakers beat the Celtics last night, one fourteen to one o five in an absolute, an embarrassing loss. Celtics turned it over fifteen times in that game last night. They allowed the Lakers to shoot fifty three percent from three point range. Celtics couldn't throw it in the ocean. Uh, Al Horford, you know, just kept firing up threes, couldn't couldn't hit him. Thank God for Sam Hauser, he kind of kept him in it. But. That was an embarrassing performance last night. Uh, Austin Reeves, 32 points. Shot 10 of 18 from the field, 7 of 10 from three-point range. This is a Laker team that was averaging 11 three-pointers a game. 11 three-pointers a game. They buried 19 last night against the Celtics. And, and that was the difference in the game, right? I mean, uh, those, you know, the eight extra three-pointers on average uh, were the difference in that game last night. But the Celtics just couldn't get out of their own way. Never got closer than six points in the second half. Uh, they made one run to get it to six, and as quickly as they got it to six, the Lakers pushed it back out uh, to 12. You know, and the Celtics have now lost three of their last five games at home. Look, let's not panic, right? They won their first 20 in a row at TD Garden, and, you know, everybody, you know, you're not going to win them all, and they're still 22-3 and three at home. Uh, there's teams that would kill for that kind of a home record, and they're still – they still have the best record in the NBA, but that was an embarrassing loss last night. There is no other way to put it, and uh, you know, to have a Laker team come in. And not only that, not only did LeBron not play, 
and Anthony Davis not play, right? One of their other starters, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, had to leave the game, played 16 minutes, and he was effective in those 16 minutes, 10.7 boards, three steals. Um, he left at, in the final minute of the first half and then didn't come back. He hurt his foot, didn't play the rest of the game. So you've got, you've got essentially three starters not in that game, and the Celtics still can't beat him at home. You know, and look, again, you're not going to win every game. Things happen, and uh, you know, but that was a very – and if you're Joe Mazzulla, the thing I think that you might be most upset about isn't the fact necessarily that you lost. It was the defensive effort. The Celtics played zero defense. Just gross. Just gross. I watched, uh, I watched the second half of it, and it was just – ugh. You know, and you kept expecting them to make a run. You really did, as as shorthanded as the Celtics or the Lakers were. You just expected the Celtics were eventually going to take control. And you know, you can't commit 15 turnovers and play zero defense and expect a different result. So, it is 16 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano will join us. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, and as we are every Friday, we are thrilled to be joined by Dan Zampano of the Sunday Card, uh, Dan. Welcome. This is the uh, this is the week that I hate. The week when we actually won't have football. We have to wait a week for the Super Bowl. Uh, I liked it. Wasn't the was it the year of COVID when they didn't have that week in between? Uh, whatever. I don't remember when it was, but God, that was my favorite. That was my favorite season ever. Yeah, you know, you start breaking out uh, some of the old, you know. Um, some of the old habits you used to have or some of the old hobbies that you used to have. Maybe you're, maybe you're like, oh, I want to go snowshoeing this weekend or something. But, <laughs> but no, like, you know, it's, 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 you, you, can't really, you can't really get away from it right quick and then. I mean, at least there is a few things happening. We got the Senior Bowl this weekend, you know. The draft season's coming up quick, game. you know. Yeah. I, it's not like hey, this is a 24-7, 365 business. Of course, you know. We dive and dip into other things, but it is it is a little frustrating not having any football this weekend. Well, let's uh, before we get to talk about last week's games, which, by the way, uh, you know, were with the exception of the first week when we had some real blowouts. You know, as disappointing as the regular season was this year, the playoffs have been great, haven't they? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think. Uh, I thought that last week you had uh, just – it felt, yes, like there was some epic wins, but it just felt like some just epic failures on the two teams that lost last week in terms of one team that obviously, you know, you, you're up 17 in the, in the third quarter and going into the half and, and you end up losing that game. But, but even on the other side with Baltimore, a team that just got away from being themselves Right. This week, and and it felt like they very much panicked in this game. Uh, so there's a lot to be kind of deciphered out for those two teams. And thinking about next year, it's like you think maybe one of these four teams, typically one of those four teams, either doesn't make the playoffs or really struggles to. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see what that is. Well, before we get to uh, talking about last week's games, let's talk about so the the. Uh, the coaching carousel, I guess, has kind of ended. Uh, the last two head coaching hires happened this week. Uh, Mike McDonald, uh, the Ravens defensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Seahawks. And then uh, on Thursday, Dan Quinn was named as the head coach for the Washington Commanders. So uh, great for those guys. But it also means that two huge names are not going to be on the sidelines this year. And if I was a betting man, and we all know I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I would have bet my house that Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick would have a job in 2024. Uh, you're 100% right. I completely agree with you. I think that I think that really at the end of the day here, it comes down to this. I mean, nobody wanted to hand the keys over to the greatest coach of all time. Uh, and, and that is just mind-boggling to me. Um, and then on Vrabel's side, I mean, wouldn't you at least want a guy with pedigree that's like, you know, played in this league before or, or coached in this league before in success? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't really make any sense to me. Now, I'm not saying, like, the, the hires are going to be bad. I think Mike McDonald is fine. Like, that's a good coach, you know, and it fits Seattle. 
But for Atlanta or Washington or a team like that to to not have kind of the wherewithal to be like you could really restart your engines and there's a lot of different factors as to why those two coaches don't get hired there. But you could have really had a really good message to your fan base to say, we are committed to winning. Now, if you look at the two coaches that did get hired, Mike McDonald obviously is, you know, a young, really good coach, was in Baltimore for years, went to Michigan for a year, and then went back to Baltimore to be the D.C. And he is credited with stopping the Kyle Shanahan-style offense in San Francisco Kind of something that Seattle would probably look for. I mean, Seattle's Seattle's defense has a lot of talent on it, but for all that talent, man, they do give up a lot of big plays. Right. And I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be able to to kind of draw up a new scheme, different of Pete Carroll's, a more modern scheme. Going to be able to help limit those. And then on the other side for Dan Quinn, you know, Washington hired what Magic Johnson, Bob Myers was involved in all this thing from the Warriors and Josh Harris and. And, and and I'm not sure how they came to a consensus on Dan Quinn at the end of the day. Um, not to say that Dan Quinn is a bad, you know, candidate, but it just felt like the default candidate at the end of the day. And instead of maybe taking a swing on a bigger on a bigger name that you could have had, so it's a it's a safe pick, I would say. Uh, but I don't see how Mike Brable's not a safe pick. Uh, yeah. You're just kind of upending. Upending everything with Belichick if you hire him too. So I'm just I'm just kind of surprised at you know they they want somebody that feels like maybe they toe the line of what they want to do in the front office and and just coach the team. Well, you know, and and by all accounts, Washington really wanted Ben Johnson, the Lions' offensive coordinator, and so maybe and maybe they kind of had put their eggs in that basket and figured that he was going to take the job. And when he changed his mind and didn't go, and you don't know what happened in Detroit, maybe you know, maybe there was some talk, you know, behind the scenes to try to convince him to stay. Um, and maybe it was just like Washington was like, now you know, when Ben Johnson left, they were scrambling and they didn't want to wait any longer, and uh, they took what they could get. I mean, is that is that I mean, is that fair? I don't know if maybe it was Ben Johnson, you know, leaving back, going back to Detroit, or maybe Washington was underwhelmed. I don't know. I mean, Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson has the ability to be kind of choosy when he picks a place to, to, to be a coach at because he's young and he's right. a good offensive coordinator. He's going to be wanted later on in his career. be a little bit more inclined to be like, I want to be a head coach again, like Dan Quinn. And I do think Ben Johnson out of the gates. I thought Bobby Slowick would definitely be a candidate there with his history with Adam Peters. But Adam Peters also worked for the Patriots for a long, for, for, for a time there True, uh, right. under Belichick. So, right. you know, I mean, that it's just kind of surprising that they're letting one of the best, you know, in my opinion, I think that was the best GM hire they could have made. But, I think at the end of the day, maybe that's where Adam Peters thought, "Hey, is there is am I going to have a guy that's just going to do exactly? He's not going to worry about the player personnel. We'll we'll take his input. Ultimately, I'm going to have the full decision making on that. You know, maybe that's the way they were going. Well, they've got the number two pick in the draft, and they've also got a ton of salary cap space too in Washington. I mean, so yeah. they've they've got an opportunity in this off season to totally. Uh, change that team. You know, I, I had somebody talk to somebody today and they were like, why would anybody want the Washington job? And I said, the number two draft pick in $80 million, that Washington team in 2024 could look nothing like the team we've seen the last couple of years. Well, especially if you're a coach and you're not going to really worry about personnel, like, you know, and, and, and Adam Peters is going to pick the players and you know that he's He's got a vision in mind, and maybe, maybe another thing might have been, you know, Ben Johnson's offensive outlook compared to, compared to, you know, a guy like Shanahan that he would be used to. Maybe he wants to have that type of offense in Washington. It's not necessarily the same gig in right. in Detroit that it is in San Francisco. So uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think I think that at this point, you know, 
it sounds like it sounds like there's their power dynamic is in the front office of Washington, and it sounds like the it, it sounds like that's kind of everywhere when you're talking about a guy like Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel. Uh, Atlanta, in particular, I am just totally shocked that they that they didn't go that direction. So it's very fascinating here. Um, you know, and 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 this isn't fair to Dan Quinn, really, but I can't hear Dan Quinn's name without thinking one thing: twenty-eight to three. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's not fair, but it's but it's the first thing that came to mind. I know, and and and, and you know his his job there. I mean, he's forever going to be linked to that, isn't he? But he yeah. still he still was a good head coach. He got the Atlanta Falcons to the Super Bowl. He he mastered. He was an excellent defensive coordinator. I mean, excellent right. uh, in Seattle, in Dallas. He was very very good in Dallas. Um, you know, with not with by the way, with not a great defensive line in Dallas either. Mm-hmm. So he really did a wonder in the secondary. So so I think he's got all the right tools to be head coach. He's been a head coach before, so I think he knows what he's doing. Um, it's just you know, for what was out there. It's just a little surprising. Yeah. Um, switching back uh, to uh, your favorite team, the New England Patriots, uh, there's got to be some concern, you know, for you as a Patriot fan, the fact that it sounds like they're almost going to have to put hold somebody at gunpoint to get them to come join Gerard Mayo's staff. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, that, it, uh, it's, not, it's not sounding very good right now. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, what would help if, what would have helped probably, you know, get an OC in here faster is, you know, maybe you could have, I don't know, interviewed a head coach. Like, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, just a thought, just a theory, you know. <laughs> um, I, I, it sounds to me like this is on the job training for Gerard Mayo. Yeah. And, it, you know, uh, to me, how can you move forward? with your personnel department if you don't even know who the OC is yet. And and now we're getting into February, and that hasn't even been, you know, that hasn't even been decided. And, it, and, and you know, we didn't even, there wasn't even a decision made on, on Bill O'Brien until after Mayo was hired. Right. So, you know, I, wouldn't you think that, you know, you have the structure in place for Mayo to be like, okay, like, who do you like? Who do you think you would want to hire here as an OC? And either, either all the other opportunities were way better uh, and nobody wanted to come to the Patriots, or he didn't have a plan. So, great start coming out here uh, as, as you're taking over. I, I really think that it's going to be a hard job to fill because just Belichick and what Belichick did Kraft doesn't even know thirty things that Belichick might have done uh, as as the head coach, and to and to have to to put all the people in place to handle all that operation. I mean, it's going to be a hard job for Mayo to to understand and and, to, and that whole organization has to change. Right, right. Uh, well, you know, it, it, they're almost. It's almost like the way that they've handled this and not having a chance to have a staff in place for him, it's almost like he's being set up to fail. Uh, I mean, I think, I think he's being set up. They're trying to set him up for, for, to succeed, but I think at the end of the day, I think this is more on the crafts than it will be on Mayo. Like, I don't think Mayo deserves a lot of this blame. Uh, I, I think he deserves some of it, but I think the crafts were meddling the last few years with Belichick, and Belichick is Belichick's had enough too. I mean, yeah. Belichick is you know he's done his things under the table to to piss them off, <laughs> but it was all really only because because Kraft was meddling in the in the team and in the and in the control of the fifty three, and you know at the end of the day, yeah, is if if they're going to do that. Then Mayo's going to be beholden to the owner's box, and you know, aren't we all right? I mean, aren't yeah. all the coaches beholden? But your whole twenty-year run was built on letting a guy who was a genius just handle what needed to be handled, right? You know, and and I think a lot of this stuff is coming from the owner's box. Really, they're they're trying to help out. They're trying to use their power in the front in the league office to help Mayo out. 
Um, but this is on the job training, and that's not that's a Mickey Mouse way of going about running an NFL team. Do you think that it's possible? And I don't know that this would be a good idea, but do you think it's possible that Josh McDaniels winds up back in Foxborough? Uh, I don't think it's probable, but I think it's possible. You know, I, I do. I do think that. You know, at the end of the day, the crafts. You know, who else are they going to hire that's going to have the cachet to come in there? I mean, all signs are indicating now that they want to hire Nick Cayley, who was there. Uh, really? And Nick Cayley's never running off. He's been a quarterback's coach. I think I, yeah. I've heard that he's the favorite. Oh, you know? Wow. So, I mean, if you're, if you're going to hire Nick Cayley, I mean – why wouldn't you just hire Josh McDaniels? He's been the only one that's able to run your offense if that's the offense you want to run. Right. And, and you know, everybody's been talking about they need to modernize their offense, they need to modernize their offense. Well, by hiring Josh McDaniels, aren't you just doing the same thing? So yeah. Yeah. At, least Nick Cayley, at, least, at least Nick Cayley has been in Los Angeles with Sean McVay and, and has been learning under that. But, but he's a Belichick guy. I mean, uh, it, you know, I, I just think this whole thing is, is, you know, bubble gum and, and paper clips well, the you know, way they're running this thing. You know, it's bad when you know uh, when the Boston Globe is uh, digging up headlines and talking about uh, you know this, who your special teams coordinator is now. You know, and and uh, the the guy that hired, by the way, Jeremy Springer, uh, was with the Rams, and the Rams special teams stunk last year. So I'm not, I'm not sure that was a, I'm not sure that was a great hire. Um, so I mean, it just kind of I think that kind of shows just where things are at in Foxborough right now. I, I can give him some credit though. I mean, last year they were terrible. The year before they were actually quite good, um, and their kicker had one of his best years ever the year before. So okay. I, I can give him some credit there. And you know, he's a young mind. I, I gotta ask, how many? I mean, how is Sean McVay going to replace all these coaches? <laughs> uh, he loses. He loses his special teams coordinator. Right. If Nick Cayley goes, he loses his quarterback, the pass game coordinator. He's already lost Zach Robinson, his his, his offensive assistant to, to Atlanta. Right. He lost his defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris. I mean, how how does this guy keep hiring people? Like, how do they keep guys coming to Los Angeles? Does everybody just want to work with Sean McVay? All of a sudden, like, who are they hiring? What 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 university of Houston, you know, GA are they going to hire here to work with them? Well, you know, maybe maybe uh, maybe McVeigh is showing us, you know, maybe maybe you know, twenty years from now, you know, we'll be talking about the Sean McVeigh uh, coaching tree. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's what yeah. he's going to excel at. Is maybe he he's good at taking young, you know, young coordinators or young assistants and turning them into uh, you know to NFL coaches. Maybe that's maybe that's going to be his specialty. And look, I know this. Uh, and look, you know, I'm a New England guy. This isn't like dumping on on Foxborough, but that stadium in L.A. I got to think it isn't going to be very hard for him to attract candidates to want to come coach there. Just saying. Well, yeah, Los Angeles, Los Angeles is you know that that that's not a that's not like it's Boston. That's not a it's not you know got people swearing at you on the street in in three feet of snow type of place. <laughs> it's it's well, it's the life of luxury. You know? Right, so, right. I mean, who knows? There's still there's still some candidates out there, people that have wanted to be hired. Yeah, uh, maybe this would be wild, but you know, maybe like a guy like Cliff Kingsbury would want to go and. Get a, get a chance to run the help run the offense there. Like who knows? Oof. Like you never know. Yeah. Well, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, uh, the news came down um, last night or uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember, that uh, Jeff Halfley is leaving Boston College to become the defensive coordinator yeah. for the Green Bay Packers. So he's walking away from college football. And 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 look, that's not necessarily you know breaking news but a lot of the speculation is going on that he just didn't want to deal with the whole NIL thing there's been talk that if the NIL system wasn't in place that Nick Saban might still be coaching in Alabama and you know a lot of the other things that you know there's a lot of other coaches that are so dissatisfied 
with the Wild West that college football has become right now in terms of that, that we might see a lot more college coaches willing to walk away to become defensive or not, or just coordinators in the NFL. What do you think about that? Uh, you never, you never know. I think, I think there's definitely a hard part about the NIL thing. It's a businessman. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And I think happily, I mean, first off, it's a, I think it's a really good hire for the Packers. First off, I mean, who else was was looking for Jeff Happley, right, to, to come coach? Oh, you know, in in the NFL, like you know, the Packers, Packers always seem to like make these very unique hires. Like, like I mean, case in point, their head coach at Matt Lafleur. Um, but but at the end of the day, like I think that's a good hire for for the Packers. I think he's going to have to make the adjustment to the NFL life, but it's also a super young team. So you know, having a college coach may not be a terrible thing. Um, it's a absolute. It's it's it, it, it absolutely sucks for BC. I mean, like they had a good coach, and and for him to have to leave, I mean that that's a, that's going to be a hard position to fill and keep their their program going. Well, it's not like the NFL is completely new to Halfley. I mean, he he does have, he did have four years um, in the NFL: a year with Tampa, a year with Cleveland, a couple years with the 49ers as well. I think he was like right. a, a secondary coach. So it's not like. You know, but now you know being a defensive coordinator is definitely a, a step up. But uh, you're right. I mean, and Boston College has struggled. You know, in the AC since moving to the ACC, Boston College has struggled in damn near every sport. And football was one where they could be somewhat competitive. And uh, you know, I, I don't even know how attractive a job that is anymore. They were making bowl games the last three years. Yeah, weren't they? I mean, yeah. They, they, you know, they got NFL talent. They they get NFL talent. I mean, you know, it's definitely not a premier spot, but you know, neither is Syracuse, and they just hired Fran Brown, and he's getting everybody and their mother to come there. True. So if you can, if you can hire somebody out of the SEC or you know somebody attractive that is a young up and coming coach, you know, if they hire if if. BC hired this name. I've thrown this name out. At, you know, he's a yeah, very young, like kind of off the wall person. But Liam Cohen, who was coaching with the Rams, uh, and and now as the last couple of years has been at the University of Kentucky, a lot of people really like him as an offensive coordinator, like the uh, the next Sean McVay, quote unquote. And and he's been down in Kentucky doing interesting things. I think that would be a name where. If they could get a guy like that to come there and and turn BC into a let's do a high flying offense kind of deal, that could be kind of interesting. Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Well, you know, and again, I I don't know what to think about the NIL. I don't know whether the the NIL is the problem is more the problem or the transfer portal is more the problem in college football these days. I think they're I think you add the two of them together. And it's a bit of a mess because you really, you literally don't know from year to year who's going to be on your team, you know. And and I, I, I mean, I guess I can understand. And now you've got what Tennessee and Virginia both being investigated by the NCAA for abuse of the NIL system, and it's like, I, you know, I don't. It's it's kind of hard to put your finger on what's going on in college football today, other than the top teams that you know are going to figure it out because they've got the resources. You know, everybody else is kind of left scrambling uh, to try to catch up, and and I'm not sure how easy that's going to be. Uh, it's obviously a problem, and, and for the NCAA, as as ridiculous as it is to have investigations into NIL abuse, is like, you know, <laughs> you opened this can of worms right. here. Like, what were you, you know, expect- I mean, what were you expecting? It's, it's, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I, I guess uh, time will tell, but I just thought that when I saw it, it actually blew me away because I never heard any rumors that Halfley was even considering leaving Boston College. So when, when I saw that one, it, it really stunned me. Uh, let's get into uh, last week's games a little bit. Um, and, and we'll start off um, with that Chiefs-Ravens game. And look, uh, you and I texted a little bit during uh, that game, and – I was stunned, but it was almost it was almost like, you know, you said they panicked, and I guess there was a little bit of that, especially in, in Lamar Jackson. I think there was some panic, but it wasn't even that. They were they just played completely undisciplined. I mean, the 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 amount of mistakes and stupid mistakes, you know, the stupid penalties the penalties that they took, and just doing dumb things. That was, and I don't know if it was panic or just a lack 
of discipline. Well, I think it's both. I think I think the the dumb penalties with guys headbutton guys to get fifteen yard flags and people punching people in the in the helmet, punching Mahomes in the helmet. That was totally ridiculous. Right. Zay Flowers making a finally making a big play and then has to lose fifteen yards because he can't control. Like you know, it's stretching for the goal line. Like all these silly, stupid mistakes. It was classic Ravens. It was just classic Ravens of of their playoff problems and and really it stems from them getting away from who they are we talked about what the strategy was going to be like gene and why i liked them was the fact that kansas city is the 28th ranked dvoa a rushing rushing defense right and they ran the ball 16 times yeah they had eight carries for their running backs right i mean that's absurd it's totally totally absurd they acted like they were down thirty-five to seven and not seventeen to seven. It was, it was, it was just so unlike them. And Lamar Jackson in a drop-back pass game is just not—that's not who he is. Yeah. So you know, them for them to give Lamar that many chances of throwing the football. I mean, you're playing right into the Chiefs' hands. Right. Just made no sense, especially from a defense that shut down the arch. as great as Mahomes and Kelsey were in the first half. They just went night night in the second half. <laughs> they sure I did. mean, it yeah. was it, they got shut down. They got shut down. Yeah. So uh, you know, every time the Ravens made a play, they found a way to screw it up at the end. And and that you got to question Lamar Jackson is gonna is gonna get a lot of the blame. Yep. But at what point do we question the head coach? Yes. You know, I mean, I, I, love, I love Harbaugh. I think he's a great coach. I think I, I I'm not saying he should be fired, but if this continues to happen year after year after year like do we need a, a, a real change here like you haven't they haven't won anything they haven't been to an a this is our first afc championship game since they won the super bowl in 2012 right you know i mean and, and how much better are you going to get than that next year you know yeah you know i mean it's it's so hard I mean, you know, it's not like the Ravens are going to fire fire John Harbaugh because of it. you know what I mean. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to fire him. But you're right. I mean, it, it speaks again to um, kind of similar to the way I felt about the Eagles when there were some issues there. It's up to the head coach to, to correct it, right? I mean, you're you're ultimately in charge, and if you're shooting yourself in the foot constantly, at what point does Harbaugh step up and say, "Fellas, you know"? What are we doing? You know, and maybe he did. I don't know. But at, at some point, there has to be some accountability from the head coach, I, at least I believe. It's almost like they went into the game and was like, we just want to hurt Mahomes. Like, we just want to make him, make him feel it, you know. <laughs> like, we want, to, we want to make him black and blue. Right, right. And that's just dumb. Like, at the end of the day, that's just not playing fundamental football. Uh, and, and to have the game plan be Lamar coming out and throwing the football, like, like it just that was a poor, poor job in getting the team ready to play right. to the strength of the team. Right, like that that was a poor job, and that has happened too many times for the Ravens in the playoffs. Well, and you know, it, you kind of <laughs> you kind of suspected that it was going to be. I don't want to say that kind of game, but it was going to be a difficult game when you found out about you know the 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 the, the chippiness and the stupid stuff that was going on in warmups for God's sake with the kickers. I mean, what kind of insanity yeah. was that? It was almost like it was almost like that set the tone for what was going to happen <laughs> during the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like. You know, oh, we're going to intimidate our kicker as to get in the way of, <laughs> of the guys warming up. It's like, right. Are, are we serious? Yeah. Are, are we serious here? Like, that's just totally, that's total malarkey to me and, and just foolishness. So, I, I don't know. I don't know where they go, though. I mean, like, how much bet they're going to lose their defensive coordinator. Right. Okay. Are they going to bring back, are they going to bring back Wink Martindale? Like, who are they going to bring back? Right. Uh, who are they going to bring in to, to be to be there? I don't know. I just think this is a very, you know, this is a team that's really, 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 really good, but they ran into greatness. And I knew from the moment 
the, the game started out when Mahomes did that first drive, I said, uh oh. Yeah. You know, I mean this yeah. is this is not good. And the guy completes eleven straight completions. He didn't get a finger on him. Yep. You know, it was it was it was just not a very good game plan. The the MVP of that game to me was Steve Spagnolo. <laughs> I mean I hundred percent. His his defensive scheme and the amount of pressure that they put on Lamar look, they sacked him four times. They probably could have had him another four or five times if not for his ability to get out of uh, you know, near tackles. I mean I I thought Spagnolo's uh game plan was absolutely brilliant for the Kansas City Chiefs. I've told you for five weeks, this is the best defense in football. Uh, it just is. And it's because of the scheme. I don't care about personnel as much. They have plenty of personnel. Their corners are sticky and really, really talented backers. They didn't even have Willie Gay, who right. was their best cover linebacker. Right. Uh, you know, and they didn't have, they didn't have Joe Tooney. Right. Uh, their best guard in this game, but that defense, Chris Jones, Derek Nottie, the whole works of them, I mean, they're just so well-built, and that's how they've won all year, and they did it again. I mean, they just, Bagnola is at the height of his power. You know, can, uh, you know, and I know that people are probably sick and tired of talking about Travis Kelsey, you know, and, and whether it's because of the Taylor Swift thing and everything else, but can we talk for a minute about how good that dude really is. I mean, some of the catches that he made in the one that he made where he was basically on the ground. I mean, you know, I think that that we we get so caught up in the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey thing that a lot of people have forgotten how damn good this guy is. Yeah, I mean, you think about it too. It's like he didn't have a good year this year. No, no. You know, I mean, it was for by his standards it wasn't a great year, but in the biggest game, I mean, he was an animal. Yep. He was an absolute animal. He just finds ways to get open, run after the catch. You know, he even actually had a couple of nice blocks in this game. Yep. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, he's he's the real deal. I mean, he's he's a difficult – obviously, you know, I, I look at him as more of, of, a, of a catching tight end, a receiver, a wide tight end. Yep. But, I mean, in terms of just – being able to get open and getting the ball and doing what you will with it, like he's he's the best in the game at that at the position. Well, and you know he may be going up against the guy, or not personally going up against him, but we're going to see maybe the best tight end in football in, in George Kittle in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, so uh, we're going to see a couple of premier guys at that position, which is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait, George Kittle. George Kittle is a is a WWE superstar <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, that's really, yeah, that's really what he is. It's very, it's going to be awesome. Those two going up and seeing tight end fest that we're going to see. Well, um, so you know, and you said before when you were when you were picking the games last week. By the way, you went over two. Uh, just just had to point that out. But uh, well, one of them, okay. So one of one of those though was. I was feeling pretty good about one of them that we're going to talk <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, I know, I and know. That, I mean, I couldn't have seen that one coming. Except I will say this. When you picked Baltimore, you even said, I hate <laughs> I hate picking against the Prince of Darkness. You, I mean, you, you came right out and said it that you knew that if, if, you know, Kansas City's chance lay with that guy right there, and he, you know, he – he did the the Prince of Darkness thing and and, and uh, proved you wrong yet again. I mean, he's and look and and I think the narrative now about well, you know, he's never had to play on the road. I don't think we need to talk about that ever again. No, he's he's breaks the rules. He's he's in the he's in the Matrix. He's Neo. Uh, he's red pilled. He's all the things. You know, he <laughs> sees what can't be seen. Well, you know? and and you know what. He's, uh, you know, another Super Bowl title here. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Tom, maybe Tom Brady's uh, GOAT status at some point will be broken. He's got a long way to go yet. It's still, you know. Here we go. It's, uh, it's still, here, here we go. But that's what's going to be. Here we go. This, this is what you'll hear all offseason. Absolutely. If he wins it again. You know it. There's, we'll hear nothing else. All right. Let's get to the other game. And, look, um, <laughs> To, there's a couple of well, there's a lot to unpack from this game because this game was incredible to me. It absolutely what San Francisco did in that second half to me was absolutely incredible. Again, uh, I don't want to ever hear any more about Brock Purdy uh, not being able to win big games. I just don't want to hear it. 
And um, I also don't want to hear people killing Detroit for gambling the way they did all season, the way that he's done since he took over the job there. He's been a gambler. You know, and and analytics said of the two times they went for it on fourth down that it was technically a kind of a medium go-for-it kind of thing. I have absolutely no issues with the way uh, the Lions coached that game. Do you? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, have, I thought he coached the first half outstanding. I thought he showed restraint by going for the field goal at the end of the first half. That was right. great. Yep. Get him down three scores, and there you go. But, you know, I get it. San Francisco, they're up They're up by 14 points. San Francisco gets a field goal. And then, you know, by not taking that field goal, think about it, Gene. I okay. mean, by not taking that field goal, we're talking about them being up by three scores right. and then having to kick off, you know, and, and probably – San Francisco getting at the 25-yard line. Um, and instead of that, we had a risk taken that was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't able to get it done. And they end up giving them pretty good field position. And now they're down two scores. It's like, oh, we have a chance to get this to one score. There's something called momentum. Like, analytics, be damned if you can't figure out, like, like, why even have a coach on the field if you're just going to do analytics sets? Right. You know, I mean, that makes, that just doesn't make any sense. Right. So you have to understand the context of the game. And in that game, with a team in San Francisco that you know does, has a really hard time coming back from games like that, you can really put the pressure on them by being up three possessions. It's not about the score. It's about the possessions. Right. But only so many possessions and that's when teams start to get desperate. That's when teams start to stop running the football. And that's exactly where you want San Francisco at. And then you, right after that, you get stupid things happening, like a guy having a ball bounce off his face mask and into Brandon Ayuk's <laughs> hand on a 50-yard pass. That was quintessential. When that play happened, you knew Detroit's dead. Yeah. I mean, Detroit is dead for doing it. And then he has a chance to tie the game again. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm not so. I mean, in that one, I could see it. In that one, I could be like, okay, he has a chance to tie the game, yes, but you know, he could go for this, and and he could get a touchdown here, and then put all the pressure back on San Francisco and take the game back. Mm-hmm. I get the logic behind that. I probably still wouldn't have done it, but still, I can get you the logic. But I see zero logic, and his ability to put the game up three scores with. With you know twenty minutes left in the game, right? Okay. To me, that just doesn't that just didn't make any sense to me. Okay. Well, you know, again, I I, I just I uh, I mean, it's what it's it's the way they've it's the way they've played. So I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, and I guess I guess and maybe maybe uh, you know for Campbell, it was maybe the moment was just he he got so caught up in it because. When they got that twenty-four to seven lead, everybody pretty much at halftime, everybody's like, "Up, oh, Detroit's going to the Super Bowl, right?" I mean, I did. I didn't think San Francisco was coming back in this game the way that the Lions played. The so maybe Campbell got caught up in it too much, and and maybe uh, I don't know. Believe, believe in his own press. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. There's a fine line, Gene, between being fearless and being reckless. reckless. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. And to me, to me, he, to me, he crossed that line. Okay, all right. Um, the uh, the the other thing too, you know, when uh, Detroit could have still had a shot when they got down into the red zone at the end of the game. You know what the biggest play was when they got in there and they had to call that timeout from like what the three yard line. That too. I mean, there you go again. It's another example of just what are we doing? Right. You know, and everybody's everybody's saying like, oh, well, he's got to get in the end zone. He's got to get in the end zone. Um, then they run the ball, right. and they don't get in. It's like, oh, he's got to call a timeout. He's got to call a timeout. Newsflash. One, he does not have to run the football, obviously. No, ever. Um, <laughs> but, but, but two, if you are going to run the football, which is very questionable, you think maybe you might want to, I don't know, call two plays, right. one for third yep. down and one for fourth down, yep. so you don't have to burn a timeout. Yep. Like, you know, I, I, it's just – Come on, like this. This is basic. Like this is 
This is, the timeouts are the most important part of that game. Yes. You know, and, and, and it, to, to me, that again, that was another example of just reckless behavior. You yeah. know, and, and and you can call up, hey, Ben, let's not run it here. Let's get it out of the back of the end zone. If we're going to have, like, anything in the end zone. Right. Like, that's it. Anything in the end zone. Your best rollout, something, whatever. Like, give me something here. Right. You know, and they just, they, they did, he just did not do a very good job at managing that game in the second half. Um, you know, and again, Brock Purdy, if you look at his final numbers, were they spectacular? No, but the, to me, like, his, he threw a bad interception. Right, I mean, but you know, and he got a little bit. He got no, he got a lot lucky on the pass to Brendan Ayuk. You know, I mean, so you know, you can yeah. look at some of this stuff and say that he got a little bit lucky. But to me, the thing that Brock Purdy did in this game, he showed some serious onions and his ability to the, those couple of long runs that he had, those scrambles that he had. Oh my God, that's not you don't that's not in Brock Purdy's uh, repertoire usually. I mean, he ran the ball very very well when he had to. You know, we just talked about the the line between fearless and reckless, right? Yeah. And I I think I think what Brock did was was he showed no flinching None. when they were down. None. By that, he knew he knew the team he had behind him, and man, there were some throws he made where he took a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just right in the solar plexus. Yep. And he was completing he was completing balls so. And the runs, the runs were fantastic. I mean, the runs were were so crucial. And to get those plays with his legs, and then get McCaffrey going, and you know, get Kittle going, and and all those. I mean, they just snowballed into that whole effect. And I thought Purdy was absolutely outstanding down the stretch. So I'm pulling for him hard. I, I again, I'm going to pull for them in the Super Bowl, um, short part. But I, I think that. He has now just shut everybody up and yep. been like, okay, you know, that kid can play in the big moment, and that kid can play for real. He should be a starting quarterback, and nobody should think they'll go wiser. Yeah, if the, if the last two weeks didn't prove that uh, to anybody that was a doubter, they don't know anything about football. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty much as simple as that. Um, the, other, the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Debo Samuel was 50-50 in this game, right? It was a 50-50 chance that he was going to play. Uh, not only did he play, he showed up in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's 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 the straw that stirs the drink a lot of the time. Him and McCaffrey, uh, you know, you have players like that where Debo Debo just plays at 150 miles an hour and it gets hurt a lot of the time, but he right. also just makes such epic plays. Um, so you know, to me, I, he's just a secret weapon. That that's going to be a difficult weapon for the Chiefs to deal with because he's so diverse and dynamic. Uh, I wonder how they're going to attack him now that he's more of a mature player. He was a rookie when they played him the first time in that Super Bowl. That's true. Yeah. So now he's much more seasoned and and he'll be healthy and ready to go. So I, I'm very interested to see how they're going to play him. And I'll you know the last thing about this game. And I know Lamar Jackson is going to win MVP, um, but for my money. Christian McCaffrey is perhaps the most dynamic player in football. He, the, he he could just take over a game. I mean, I just I love that guy. I really do. I think he, you know, he, he is. I mean, I mean he's got to be one of the top two or three players in the NFL. Period. I don't care what position. Uh, that that is so true, though. That that is so true. Like we talk about quarterbacks all the time, yeah. and receivers and all this stuff. Like McCaffrey's the best back in the NFL. Yep. And and you know, it, it's not. To me, I don't even really think there's anybody that is going to challenge that. You know, I mean, you could talk Derrick Henry all you want. You can talk about whoever name that name that running back. Um, to me, uh, you know, uh, he he's number one. Like he is number one, and 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 it's just because he's so difficult to tackle. His body is in such good shape. He's he's shifty. He's quick. He, he's a weapon. He's a receiver. He's this. He's that. I mean, he's everything. Yep. He's everything. To me, I would have him there, up there at MVP levels. I think Lamar and Josh Allen as well, like, are right there as, you know, the MVP. Um, you know, you could make a case for all three of those guys to be MVP. I'll tell you what, I think so much of Christian McCaffrey, I almost feel like you could put him on almost any team in the NFL and they automatically become a playoff team. If you had, you know, you put him, <laughs> you put him on the New England Patriots this year. 
they they probably they they might have made the playoffs. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, they might have. They might have. I, he is that big of a game changer. Yeah, yeah. they, they might have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody's somebody's got to hand that ball off and, and throw it to him too. So, yeah. Well, there is that, but that I, would be a big leap. That's a that's a big leap. I that, but you know what? There's a shot. I mean. You know, you put him and, and Zeke on the same team. Like, oh, yeah. no offense to Ramondre Stevenson, but, like, you know, that would be awesome. Oof, that could have been a lot of fun. Well, we won't get into the Super Bowl. We'll save that till next week. But I, I think one thing I know right from the beginning, uh, you and I are on the same page here. I am I am rooting for the San Francisco 49ers pretty hard in this one. And it's not, because I, it's not because I hate Kansas City. It's not because I hate Patrick Mahomes and Taylor Swift and Kel- Travis. It's not that. I just... I there it's, I don't know why, but I root for the. I the, there's something about the 49. Maybe it's because it's McCaffrey. Maybe it's the Purdy story. And I've always been a big Kyle Shanahan fan. It's hard for me not to root for them in this game. Well, I think people want to see natural naturally a team that hasn't won it in a long in a while, time. Yeah, win it right. And, and such a quality, such a quality organization right. like the 49ers. And, yep. With a quality head coach, I think I think there's a lot of people out there. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't want either of these teams to win. Oh, I know. Like, I've, I've think, seen a lot I of that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. Like, and I don't know why you would not want San Francisco to win. Like, yeah, they're good, but they've been to one Super Bowl, you know, in ten years. Yeah, yeah. So right. you know, to me, like, how you could not want them to win? And like, and Kyle Shanahan, like, chasing his father. um, Christian McCaffrey chasing his father, right? Uh, as well, like you know, and Ed McCaffrey. I mean, right? Like you have all these guys that are they're sons of, of famous people, and that they have they have so many cool stars like Kittle and Debo and Ayuk and Trent Williams spent all those years in Washington just rotting away and, and and playing, being the best tackle in the football. Nobody knew it, and right. and you know now he's now he's playing in the Super Bowl and. Bosa, like you've got so many, uh, Fred Warner, you could name, you just, the list goes on and on. We got to do a list, I think, next week of the top five players in this game if you took Mahomes and, like, McCaffrey out of the equation. Okay. Like, like, uh, I I, I think that would be awesome. You've got some dudes. You've got some dudes on both sides of the ball that are just going to wreck. You know what? That's your homework. That's your homework for next week. Yeah, take, take McCaffrey and Mahomes out of the equation. Who are the top five players in the Super Bowl? There's still some great players. Um, you know, you know what I think. Some of the hate of of these not, not hater, you know, not really wanting either of these two teams to win. I think it's because so many people wanted the Detroit Lions in the Super Bowl. They were, they were, um, <laughs> they were. Um, you know what? And you know. Apologies to the Cowboys who have that arrogant title anyway. But the Detroit Lions were America's team this year. You know, I think everybody was jumping on that bandwagon. And I have to admit, I was rooting for the Lions to beat the 49ers. I wanted the Lions to get into yeah. the Super Bowl. I really did. You know, so I think a lot of what we're seeing maybe is more backlash of the fact that Detroit didn't get in. So it's like a pox on both their houses because my team couldn't get in. Yeah, I mean, the, the Lions were definitely the darling, and I think people wanted to see Lamar. But, Gene, to me, you know, there are two groups of fans in this game. There are the people that do not like the Chiefs. Right. Uh, and the people and and the people that want to see the Chiefs fall down because they've been winning a lot. Right. It's very similar to the Patriots, how it used to be. And then on the other side, there are the two subgroups of – Chiefs fans, because nobody outside of the Chiefs fans are going to want them to win, and Swifties. And that's what it is. This, this might be, Gene, I kid you not, this might be the most watched Super Bowl of all time. Because yeah. I, I'm I'm not kidding. No. Her poll yep. is just, it, it's something crazy. It's crazy. Every time I want, every time I step back and you know, I try to assess the game. I, I try to respect the Chiefs now because I, I've done a lot of hating of them over the years. Yeah. But being in that position for that long and understanding how much you're hated, like you have to respect it at some point. I think Brady got a lot of that respect after they beat the Falcons and had that crazy win. Yep. 
But then I go and watch. Then I go and watch them, and I just I I can't stand it. Like I just I can't stand it. Like I just it, it's so frustrating because you don't feel like, especially this year, where you didn't feel like they were that good of a team, right? And they still they still came came through. And then you add Taylor Swift into the mix. Look, I got nothing against Taylor Swift, like personally, um, but I do think it adds to. I think football fans everywhere are just like enough, just just enough. I don't want to see it. I don't need to see her. Like you know, even her, she's had enough of it. Yes, Look she at has. her the She was saying, "Go away," yeah. you know, like yeah. you know, she's trying to live her life, and she's going to get hate for it. And a lot of NFL fans. So I think half the fans, I think most NFL fans, like that are diehard NFL fans that are going to watch this game are going to be like, "Ew, get this off my screen." But the casual person which usually watches this game, yep. uh, is going to be like, oh, my gosh, there's Taylor Swift. And then you're going to have Taylor Swift fans being nuts. Oh, yeah, you're going to have so, – well, that's, you know, that's why you're right. I agree with you, though, that it may be just because it's somebody who's not even a casual fan who was never a football fan, just the fact that they might see Taylor Swift on screen for 30 seconds in a three-hour game is going to give them reason to watch. And so the people are going to watch that wouldn't have watched the Super Bowl anyway. Well, Otine, if you look at it, like normal, normal – uh, attendance and fans like uh, that watch these playoff games, especially the championship games, somewhere between forty and fifty million people. That's okay. a lot of people, right? Yep. Um, the normal the normal Super Bowl audience is a hundred million. That you know, I mean, so you already have a bunch of casual fans watching the Super Bowl. Now you're going to add Taylor Swift onto that, so it's 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 really going to be just a a giant slobber. <laughs> over her and Kelsey, and and God only knows if the script writers have it right. Kelsey will score the game winner. She'll be on the field after the game. The ring comes out. Oh God! She gets proposed to. Oh no! They ride up in the horse no. carriage. Oh. Like that's what's going. I don't know what's happening. Oh. You know it in your heart of hearts oh. that it's going to happen. We're all going to throw up. Yeah, I was. And it's going to be great. <laughs> I was just going to say you'll be barfing in your living room if that happens. You know, and and, and oh my god. Well, you know what's funny, and and I, you bring up the whole Taylor Swift thing, and uh, I had a, uh, I have a massage there. I get a massage once a month. You know, we don't even we don't even have to go there. But my massage therapist is she's a she she is a huge football fan, huge, and she can't stand the whole Taylor Swift thing. Can't stand it. And she said, oh. much like you though, she said it's not that I have anything against Taylor Swift. I want to watch football. I don't want to be talking about Taylor Swift and Travis. I want to watch the game. And you know, and the they, she just feels that. Even the 30 seconds she's on the screen just takes away from her enjoyment of being able to watch a football game. And I think there's probably a lot of diehard fans like that that feel that way. And that's probably in that camp you're talking about, it, just hating the whole thing. Like you. Unfortunately, Jim. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like me. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jim, the Super Bowl has just become this giant corporate conglomerate well, thing. Yes, yes. It's not really a football game. Correct. And we've noticed that. Years. I've noticed that in particular over the last ten years, it's right. just been sponsors, and and now we got in-game DJs, and 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 just we can watch the game on on Paramount and and CBS and Nickelodeon sliming people, and just like when does it stop? I mean, just right. just when does it become about football? Half the thing, half the reason people watch is the is the halftime show, right? Like you know. So, you know, and, and now you're getting Taylor Swift involved. It just seems like it's a compiling thing of consumerism that, you know, in my opinion, I absolutely despise that part of our country is 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 the giant mall that our country is. Right. But, and, and it takes place in marketing and TV as well. But that's what the Super Bowl has become. So that's why I love playoff football and championship weekend. And, and, and it started to seep into them, too. But. But but the divisional weekend and championship weekend I treasure so much because the drama Super Bowl is just like okay well we have these two teams the game's going to be good but it's really everything the pageantry around it it's just so fake and gross about it is, it is what it is yeah well well be that as it may uh, you're right this may be record 
record viewing for the Super Bowl. You know, like it or not, she she moves the needle, right? That's, at the end of the day, she moves the needle. Not that the she other- does, and and God bless her. I I want her to be happy. Absolutely, I've seen her in concert. She puts on a great show. It's it's you know it's it's fantastic. I, I just want it to be about football. It will, be, it will be about football next week when we talk about it, I promise. Well, okay, good. All right, so your homework for next week, then, is the five best players in this game, not counting the, the two big names. Yes. All right. Will do. All right, Dan, listen, in, uh, enjoy your uh, – well, no, I'm, I, know, I know you're not going to enjoy this week without football. <laughs> I was going to say enjoy your weekend, but no. I, I know you're not. It's going to be hard. The missus is gone for the weekend, of course, so she, she's kicking off uh, to, to Florida while we freeze up here. Oh, nice. But it's it's going to be it's going to be a good it's going to be a good weekend, no matter what. I'll be in the dungeon, probably maybe watching Senior Bowl tape or something. <laughs> we'll get a little lacrosse, oh. and you know, like of course it's lacrosse season, so we love that. But but you know, it'll be it'll be fine. We'll survive in advance. That's what we do. All right, Dan, listen, thanks for a few minutes today, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week, and we'll break down the uh, the Super Bowl before it happens. God bless, Gene. Take it easy. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. You know, Dan is starting to sound more and more like a grumpy old man like I am, doesn't he? I mean, he's, like, you know, he's starting to sound like the get-off-my-lawn guy, so... Uh, uh, I, I hope Dan feels better after the weekend is over. He was uh, he was fighting it yesterday, and uh, this morning he sounded like uh, death warmed over. So hopefully he will have that good weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to him next week. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Hey, it's uh, Graham Nash's 82nd birthday today. So on our way out, here's a little music from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Southern Cross. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.